0: This is a Federal News Network
1: podcast.
0: Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal
2: News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller.
0: My guest today is Cynthia Mendoza, the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. Cynthia, welcome to the program.
2: Hello, Jason. Thank you for having me join you today to discuss the exciting work in the intelligence community information technology environment.
0: There is so much going on, so we have a lot to talk about. But specifically, and even though you're not "quote unquote" a CIO, that's okay, because we're going to talk a lot about things CIOs need to know, anyways. And uh, the reason I think we're talking today is you did a presentation a couple months ago, uh, and it really sparked my interest around the reference architecture framework. And before people their eyes glaze over and they want to take a nap, we're going to say how exciting this is because this is a really important piece to really delivering capabilities across the IC and really across of the government. So let's start at the beginning, the reference architecture framework. What is it and what's the current status?
2: Right, well first let me start by describing the Intelligence Community Chief Information Office, ICCIO, and then Jason, I will share why the reference architecture framework is so important. The Office of the ICCIO responds to the mission, business and technology needs of the intelligence community, ensuring IC mission users have the secure services and capabilities They need to effectively do their jobs. The role of the ICCIO within the ODNI is a leadership one, but most importantly, we shepherd and bring the community together in an effort to build trusted partnerships to guide behaviors towards mission outcomes. These stakeholders include the intelligence community, the Department of Defense, and international partners. To that end, in an effort to gain efficiencies during the last decade, we learned that the IC agencies need to have the ability to maintain some degree of autonomy and flexibility to meet their mission goals. With that said, we initiated a new approach called the Reference Architecture Framework. But most importantly, the IC Reference Architecture Framework defines a consistent, repeatable, and verifiable methodology for driving out our secure, interoperable, and enterprise-driven operational capabilities. So Jason, basically it's a systematic approach to build trusted partnerships. As a practical example, I could perhaps compare this to how somebody would build a fitness room, which many people have been doing during the pandemic. So that is asking family members questions like, why is the room important? What are we trying to accomplish? What equipment do you need? How will you achieve the desired results and outcomes? And when will they be completed?
0: Good description. I I love the uh, fitness rooms uh, that I have to admit I'm not one of those people who built one, but that's okay. Walk me through a little bit about this idea of a trusted partnership because in many ways the ICCIO could just say, do it. and, And I think that's what maybe where you all started several years ago when the first integration, collaboration, consolidation effort started. And then this reference architecture, I think, grew from that kind of mandated approach to more Again, I'll use your word, trusted partnership approach.
2: Right. So that's a very good question because I believe that that is the secret sauce of the way we've been working. Building trust is actually the most fundamental tenet of the IC Reference Architecture Framework. Without the engagement and enduring commitment of the community experts and stakeholders, we would simply have more shelfware. And what I mean by that, Jason, is documents that sit on a shelf and collect dust. So our light touch oversight and leadership approach, plus bringing together and collaborating with a broad, diverse and amazing set of mission, executive, programmatic and technical subject matter experts who represent CDOs, CIOs, service providers, architects, engineers, and of course, privacy and civil liberties perspective, very important. This was a huge culture change. So with us being able to do this, the community has taken ownership and a vested interest to see the capabilities through. Using the reference architecture framework, we are able to achieve foundational consensus to help make the IC information environment priorities real. So the trusted partnership enables us to rally around a common purpose with accountability to deliver capabilities with an enduring commitment for success. One of
0: the things is you bring this up, this idea of make priorities real, build consensus. So where are we with the reference architecture? Is it a uh, just beginning? Are you a couple, I know you're several years into it, but are you in version five? Give me a sense of how, where we are today and then how it's being used. What impact is it having?
2: Part of Epic 2, which we began around 2017, 2018, was about, learning that the one-size-fits-all was not the answer, that we need to ensure that we optimize the balance between meeting the needs of the enterprise, which is our community shared space, and the autonomous requirements of enterprise stakeholders. Some people have stated that the primary intent of our framework is an inclusive community partnership to engage the right people, that is the technical experts that I just spoke about, to establish repeatable processes to securely and reliably reliably enable the individually managed technologies to achieve our shared mission. So basically the RAF lifecycle is a cradle-to-grave model which demonstrates a rinse and repeat sequence that enables a community standard for rapid implementation of a range of strategic initiatives through business process standardization and integration. So to date, the RAF has advanced interoperability and safeguarding in three foundational areas. I like to call these um, the bedrock, if you will. Um, collaboration services, identity credential and access management, also known as ICAM services, and the data reference architecture. These foundational architectures provide collaboration capabilities and tools across our community shared space. The RAF success in the IC has been promulgated globally to the Five Eyes enterprise with our international partners as well. The RAF continues to mature as we're ensuring clear and repeatable guidance is developed and is available for others who like to use that in their enterprise and organization. We are fully committed to a train the trainer philosophy to help others institutionalize the reference architecture framework within their own end-to-end business processes. We believe the outcome will enable increased sharing interoperability, and mission success.
0: Give me maybe a little bit of a sense of how the architecture maybe is used for something like ICAM services. I know there's a lot of focus on zero-trust frameworks and, and fun stuff like that, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, but how would you, how would an agency, whether it's Uh, you know, the NSA or DIA or NRO use the reference architecture?
2: While the community has always been successful in providing dedicated or very focused mission solutions, it's been limited with partners, certain partners. So what we needed was a repeatable process in a federated environment, meaning accepting the use of different but similar solutions. So with the RAF, upfront we define community consensus guidelines and guardrails participating in community capability and then leveraging predefined rinse and reuse processes. So each partner can join and participate when and how it is best for their own mission and users. So the bottom line is these efforts are already beginning to hold water. IC elements are able to chat securely from their native platform with at least one other element and several agencies are, are being able to chat with several others. And about the credentialing piece, the IC elements are expediting the credentialing process that facilitates security reciprocity objectives. So we now have a more standardized and consistent approach across the enterprise, which is allowing us to improve our safeguarding posture and enable more streamlined access to community shared services.
0: Cynthia, let's take a quick break. We can continue our conversation. My guest is Cynthia Mendoza, the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Cynthia Mendoza, the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. One of the trends I I, I hear throughout what you're saying here is this idea of repeatable processes, and, and that's really the value of a reference architecture. If you need to do something that's in in an enterprise view like data reference architecture so the way you tag data or the way you develop you know unified communications collaboration services there's a place to go to as a starting point and then you can build from there to ensure interoperability to ensure the functionality and, and i imagine that's really the key here is the repeatable process
2: that is correct
0: and getting people on board I, that's i guess I'm, I'm looking for a little more about how do you get people on board? How do you ensure that everyone's in agreement? Again, you could just put the fist down and say you'll, you'll do it this way, but that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't always work well.
2: Right. One of the things that we've learned is um, you heard, hear me talk a lot about building the trusted partnerships and how that's our secret sauce. Well, when you peel all the layers back of the reference architecture framework, it's primarily a people process. It begins, Jason, with developing a stakeholder engagement strategy that is inclusive of all the key enterprise stakeholders, and together we focus on a gap. So for example, when we were working on the collaboration reference architecture, they were those four service areas, the email, the shared collaboration, the unified comms and user mobility. And you say email, well, aren't we past that? Well, sure we are, but encryption and file size transfer, we were having some challenges in, in that area. So we wanted to be standard and consistent So what we do is we understand and validate key stakeholders' perspectives. We need to understand how to engage on their own turf. Um, We actually conducted parish visits, so we honestly visited as many of the 17 agencies as possible. We listened to what the problem was and what they believe desired outcomes that we can have from these different architectures. And then what we do is we take these different autonomous views, we analyze their perspectives, We look at the different stakeholders and which were the ones that we really need to have on board and which are the ones that we need to help get them to come along the way so they completely understand. And that's the major common themes that we have for kicking off our strategic phase of the reference architecture framework. And one of the things that we've done really well with is we'll have an offsite and we'll bring the whole community together and we actually have a solid plan. But I always tell my team there's more than one way to do this. This is not the way, this is a way. And sometimes our community partners come in with some better ideas. So as a leader, I have to call an audible and say timeout, we regroup and then we move forward with some of the perspectives from our community. And I'm telling you that's one of the best ways to establish trust and that's how they build into the process and they actually feel like they own the architecture So like you were saying, it's not a hammer that comes down and say thou shall, but they're actually part of the process. They bring the ideas, the perspectives together so that we can build that together. And that's why I honestly push the perspective of building trusted partnerships to drive behaviors towards mission outcomes, because that's exactly what we're doing.
0: When there is a disagreement, when one organization says we want to go in this direction and maybe a couple organizations want to go in that direction, is it a democracy? Do we vote or or does somebody eventually, the ICCIO, I know Mr. Sherman was there for a long time. Uh, I know he's not there anymore, but would someone like that have to eventually say, listen, I took everyone's point of view in in cards and this is the direction we're going to go because this makes sense for the majority of us. How, How does it work?
2: We have some ground rules. And basically when we get started, we have, can you live with this? Is it great or it's something that you cannot live with? And when we do approach these things, which we have, where people cannot live with some of the ways moving forward, we have those deep conversations. It's really awesome to see these subject matter experts across the community in the, shared, in the same room sharing their perspectives and driving the results. And they've always seemed to work that out. People are able to come to consensus and be able to live with that. Now, one of the things, or the beauty, if you will, of the reference architecture framework is the first part is the strategic purpose, which is is our mission, results, and outcomes. Then the next phase is our requirements. And those are what we call design patterns. There's several requirements that are out there. Well, then when we get to the implementation piece, which is the next phase, we can actually do concurrent ops. And if that requirement does not meet your needs as an agency, you don't have to participate in that. So when we go through the design and the implementation phase, taking a system engineering view, we look through the lens of people, process, technology, and content, and we ensure that we understand those dependencies, and that allows us the flexibility that we need to be able to move forward as a community, taking all those perspectives into consideration.
0: I'm going to throw maybe a little bit of a curveball at you, so if you don't have an answer to this, I totally understand. Has there been a time where you got... Through the strategic purpose, you got through the design patterns, and then somebody said at implementation, yeah, this isn't going to work for us?
2: So, the key to that is that implementation in this federated environment, you can have several implementations to meet the design. So, because early on, we established consensus on the guidelines, the specifications, you know, those guardrails that I spoke about. Um, as long as you meet that, we're able to move forward. So Jason, to tell you a little bit more about that, what I mean by that is, for example, chat. Well, we didn't force the one-size solution for each of the agencies. So we had certain agencies that didn't have a chat tool, so we did a hybrid approach where we served up a Mongoose chat in a community shared space. Some agencies had a, a communication tool called Jabber, and then others were using Skype. So in the implementation, we were able to federate that across those three communication tools so that we could federate that together. So that's an example where different people had different perspectives where we were able to bring that together. And at the end of the day, if your agency doesn't need that mission requirement, um, then you don't have to fulfill that. It's not the hammer coming down saying, thou shalt do these things. We're trying to increase information sharing in the community shared space, what makes best sense for the enterprise as well as each of the
0: agencies. I think that's really helpful to understand because a lot of times, especially on a federated approach, like you're saying, that's the hardest thing is to get people on board. And then if you have one outlier, if you have somebody who says, I'm not going to do this, then it becomes, you know, the whole initiative could get held up. But what you're saying as well is, hey, we're setting a baseline set of standards. If you don't wanna follow our implementation, you at least have to follow this baseline set of standards. Is that correct?
2: That is absolutely correct. And they're actually involved in that process of establishing community consensus on guidelines and guardrails. And they can participate in that community capability as they see fit for their own missions and users. So that's really how we bring this together. And because in all honesty, it's been a huge culture change where the community actually believes that they own the architecture. They're really ecstatic and really excited to be part of this. It's not us telling us them, you know, building the architecture and saying thou shall follow this. No, they have a voice and, and they can take a stance in that. In fact, um, we use different community leaders to um, help us build different parts. So what I mean by that is when we get to the implementation phase, we have these things. We mimicked what industry did. We have cross-functional teams. So what we do is get our subject matter experts across the community in that particular area and they come together and they brainstorm and determine what are the best solutions. So we bring together folks that may not have otherwise been collaborating because they weren't aware of each other, but build that trusted partnership and building that rapport where they can work together. And that's where the accountability and ownership comes into play and that they really want to see this through, you know, success. They want to see us, be able to make this capability real and operationalize it. And that's honestly what it's all about is operationalizing capabilities so that they don't become shelfware and just something that is a document that fits there. You bring
0: up capabilities. Let's go down that path a little bit. How has the RAF been used to deliver those capabilities? You mentioned the, the three big buckets of collaboration services, ICAM and data reference, but that's one step, the one piece to it. There's the capability pieces, the the, the larger I think more important side, walk me through what role the RAF plays in delivering capabilities.
2: So how it allows us to build the capabilities is once we decide what the implementation plan is, then each agency delivers their plan according to when they'll deliver those. So you're right. I started out with the three core foundational areas of collaboration services, the ICAM, and the data reference architecture. And we really need to have that bedrock in place before we can move forward and do other things. Um, We also have other multiple subtopics within these areas for expanding, meaning additional security fabrics or other type of users. And of course, this is based on guidance and direction from the community. And right now, honestly, we have a focus on the unclassed side in light of the dynamics of the environment. Working these bifurcated schedules have have made this a little bit challenging with respect to everyone being on the same page. However, we're going to continue to press on. Um, The other thing we have is the seams. We have to make sure that the connective tissue or the interfaces is happening across multiple service areas. So those are some of the things that we identify as dependencies, and they include things such as directory services and cross-domain capabilities.
0: When you talk about implementation, is that something that happens at each of the IC agencies level, so the, the your office and the ICCIO doesn't necessarily get involved in that implementation side, unless if maybe it's a enterprise wide type of, of service, or, and even in that case, it may originate at a specific agency that may just gets opened up more broadly. So, you're not your role in implementation, I guess, is what.
2: So our role is shepherding the community to bring those stakeholders together, and we have parts of our team members that help lead the cross-functional teams or more shepherd them. So for example, on the collaboration reference architecture, we have those four service areas of email, shared collaboration, unified comms, and user mobility. And user mobility is where you know an IC person when visiting another agency can log on to their home agency and be able to do things with a keyboard and a mouse. So that's something that we're really moving forward with. And we have these cross-functional teams that get together and work through the dynamics on how are they gonna fulfill the guidelines and guardrails that they have consensus on and then they work together to implement those. So we're basically shepherding them and leading them and then providing accountability. We have roadmaps where they have milestones on how they're gonna operationalize the capabilities. And then if they have any challenges along the way, and what that allows us to do is to get no kidding where the rubber meets the road. and What is that problem exactly? Why can't we implement? And that's where we can take those hard problems for the CIOs, and then they can make those decisions where perhaps certain agencies don't have resources to do that, and they can do the cost-benefit analysis to decide, you know what, we really need to do this or this, and they can put um, funding towards that, but it's a decision that was made holistically to drive that result for mission use and success. A lot of
0: times when we talk about reference architectures, people, and as I said in the very beginning, eyes tend to roll or people go, oh, no, not a reference architecture. Have you learned or have you been able to maybe from the beginning talk about this in a way that is not, oh, no, here comes Cynthia talking about wire diagrams or shelfware or the intricacies of of networks? Are you able to kind of make this more real for people?
2: That's one of the biggest challenges that I have. And looking back, perhaps we could have named this something different. Um, The IC Reference Architecture Framework, um, we try to really drive that it's both a process and a set of guiding artifacts, and it's a methodology for driving out interoperable and secure solutions in an iterative process. And you're spot on, people think, oh, that's a reference framework where it's a bucket of capabilities and something that collects dust and doesn't operationalize the architecture. And that's what we do that's different is we we don't stop at what we call the requirements piece. We look at what is it gonna take to implement and then what are your implementation plans, which are are your roadmap. And your roadmap are the different things that are gonna get you through the self-assessment, peer review and enterprise certification, which puts us into the operational capability of operation and maintenance and we we come in the maintenance mode. So it's a full life cycle development of capabilities from inception decommission, and that's why we try to push the word framework. We have branded this across the board. We brought community stakeholders together. We actually have buttons that show the symbol of the reference architecture framework that everybody wears that are on board. And so we've really gone down the path of branding this. Um, We brand this with our international partners and they're on board. It really helps when we're looking across nations on how is that interface between the enterprise and each nation. We've also used this with the Department of Defense. And so it's really been something that has shown success because how we're operationalizing it, we're not just stopping at the way you stated the shelfware.
0: And I think that's always good news when things are are see that it can be operationalized, that's going to drive the value. Because again, I remember having those conversations in the early 2000s regarding the federal enterprise architecture. and, And while it Provided us great news and lots to talk about. I'm not sure how many people wanted to read those stories back then. Hey, Cynthia, let's take a quick break. We can continue our conversation. My guest is Cynthia Mendoza, the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Cynthia Mendoza, the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. Uh, Cynthia, this is a, a great conversation. Let me ask you to, to look forward a little bit as you go into the next year and, and the coronavirus pandemic has it affected the federal sector. What, where is the RAF going? What are your plans over the next you know, year or so? You
2: know, this global pandemic has shifted our priorities and we're looking to support more robust unclassified capabilities. But um, Jason, not only was in the IC, but also with our partner enterprises such as the Department of Defense and our international partnerships. So the ras related activities will have a focus on that unclass fabric, again, expanding the data services in the cross-domain, to name a few. The IC will also focus on the ensuring the success of our commercial cloud capabilities We're leveraging powerful cloud compute capabilities and we wanna ensure that our next generation of commercial cloud services is ready to go. So we have a focused attention on the commercial cloud enterprise, as well as executing a data center strategy way ahead. And of course, always continuing to secure our IT enterprise. So as we look further ahead, our challenge will be how are we gonna scale and operationalize IT capabilities by leveraging key advanced technologies. And these are things such as artificial intelligence and ma- machine learning, 5G wireless technologies, quantum computing, and identity intelligence for greater mission success.
0: All right, you hit a bunch of buzzwords there. So let me just back up. Uh, when we talk about commercial cloud capabilities and data center, uh, maybe potential consolidation optimization, how does the reference architecture framework fit in there because I know There's a lot of interest in the IC and the the move to the cloud.
2: So one of the ways that the reference architecture can um, help in our commercial cloud enterprise is help to establish left and right guardrails, driving those consensus so that we can have cloud services that are interoperable against the multi-cloud opportunities that we'll have. That way we can better align our mission to the right data holding environment that is needed. And that's why the data center strategy plays a big role in that. And that was something that we, we were working on prior to the pandemic, and now we're starting that up again. And so our goal is by the end of the year to have a data center strategy that works hand in hand with um, our commercial cloud strategy, which is the next generation of commercial cloud enterprise, as well as our hybrid compute initiative.
0: All right. I got to ask, do you know if that data center strategy, at least some of it will be unclassified? Because I know a lot of vendors would probably be interested and uh, I want to try to save your phone from ringing, so to speak.
2: Uh, yes, um, absolutely. So what we try to do is ensure that we have an unclass as well as a secured. And so I just don't want to get ahead of the one voice strategy. But as soon as we have that available, I'm sure that um, we'll keep you posted. And that will be a conversation for the future that you could have.
0: Excellent. I do appreciate that. I just know that vendors would would be like, Cynthia, (laughs) so uh,
2: let's
0: (laughs) try to save you some time there.
2: I I just want to add one of the things that's important about the data center strategy is we need to drive standardization and consistency across our IC um, elements and and partners. Different people define um, what a data center is differently. So some people define it as a closet with wires. Other people define it as a whole big data warehouse with all these data holdings in there. So one of the things that we want to do is drive that standardization and consistency across what is a data center in our community and how are we going to leverage the best data holdings that align to mission success, knowing that we're driving a multi-end environment so that we can have that timely, insightful, and accurate intelligence, the whole genesis of why the ODNI was set
0: up. That's really helpful. I think one of the big challenges we've seen over the last decade plus is that data center definition, how it's changed, how it's morphed. But I know there's an ongoing discussion on Capitol Hill with GAO, with OMB about that same issue in the civilian sector as well. Cynthia, one other piece of this, I brought up vendors. Let's just talk about what should vendors or maybe other non-IC agencies know about the RAF? What should they, should they read it? Should they, is it, would be helpful for them?
2: Yes, so the IC Reference Architecture Framework, one of the things I really want to foot stomp, it's not about defining specific solutions. It's the intersection of interoperable and interconnected capabilities. So as you know, our world is not simply ones and zeros. It is a diverse set of variables and possibilities. And what we must do is strive to find that secure and reliable intersection. So trust building within the people, process, and technology paradigm is essential. And in this approach, vendors work in partnership with the agencies. So they bring their solutions to the greater enterprise and offer them up. And based on what agencies needs are, they can either leverage that capability or come up with their own. And so that's why I shared with the chat, um, we did serve one up in the community shared space where folks were federated to that. And then the agencies that had their own chat tool, we were able to drive that interoperability. I'm really excited about that, Jason, because we haven't been able to do something like that in a while. And while we started this in the 2017-2018 timeframe, and by November of 2018, we had several agencies that were already chatting with across five or six organizations, which was really um, success.
0: No, I I agree with you. I mean, that sounds like a a success story, and and too too often uh, agencies uh, ignore those success stories, so I'm glad you're able to share that. I want to also bring up the idea of the coronavirus. You brought that up briefly, but let me go back to it because it's a, it's a topic we can't you know underestimate the, the impact. Has that forced your office to look differently at the reference architecture, to focus differently on some of the capabilities or some of the ways you're using the architecture to ensure that people can stay connected? You mentioned the unclassified environment focus. I hear that a lot from other folks in the IC walk me through the impact that the pandemic has had
2: the pandemic has forced us to look more quickly at that un- um, unclassed side you know the unclassed capabilities. so looking across those collaboration services on the low side and how can we make them readily available in all honesty the intelligence community has been exploring telework for some time and a number of respects expanding those opportunities was just a matter of accelerating the implementation of these previous decisions and leveraging the existing capabilities that some of the agencies have. So as we work the reference architecture framework and bring those subject matter experts to bear, some folks have provided training in cloud environments. Um, Folks have um, already figured out how to do virtual sync sessions on the unclassified. So we'll definitely leverage those. But we need to keep in mind that there is not a one-size-fits-all approach in regard to the challenges of this telework. Given the diversity of functions in the intelligence community, we are implementing multiple diverse strategies and technologies for enabling telework in these varied environments. The pandemic, as I stated, has elevated the priority for both unclassified communication collaboration, as well as coordinated telework capabilities, as I stated earlier. But another thing to keep in mind is that telework encompasses more than the way the intelligence community conducts its mission, it also means reassessing what core work can be done at multiple levels and defining the workflows, the policies, and the procedures for that work and ensuring the workforce is trained in these essential areas.
0: The One thing that I hear time and again from others in the intelligence community is the, the move from trying to move more work into the unclassified environment. Is something like a reference architecture framework helpful to do that? Because yes, you're setting guardrails and setting the, Okay, we all have all agreed to a set of you know people who are the floor. Does that help people reach that floor versus always try to get to the ceiling, which I'll term you know the top secret classification.
2: So I believe because of the subject matter experts that we bring together, they're able to share knowledge and determine ways on how we can actually do that work on the low side, and so they're able to collaborate and come up with ways to accomplish that and share their lessons learned and how, you know, we can move forward with that. So I believe that that's something that we can leverage because different people have those different ideas. And um, also sharing things that some folks have done. I know some of the agencies, as I mentioned, have already set up um, chat on the side and they're chatting across the board. And we're still working on accomplishing that. We don't have that um, yet in some of the agencies. So being able to bring everybody together, and as we stated, um, left and right guardrails, minimum standards, what is the least common denominator of standards that we need to drive interoperability, once we can accomplish that, accomplish that, that will allow us to be able to um, make these services real in this community-shared space.
0: Cynthia, we've had a great conversation, and we've talked a whole lot mm-hmm. about the reference architecture framework. I, I should also ask you, what else do you work on, right? I mean, is this... Is this... Is this your main job, or do you have other things that are on your plate too? And maybe we could go through a couple of those other priorities or goals over the next year that maybe sits outside the RAF.
2: That's interesting that you say that because um, I really believe that I live and breathe the Reference Architecture Framework. Um, but obviously, that's one of the major things that we do over at the ODNI. The other thing that we do is work with major system acquisitions and um, projects of special interest; um, those ones that are above the dollar threshold. And we ensure that they follow the standards and specifications that have been set forth in our organization. So as different programs reach their milestone A and milestone B, um, they have to produce guiding artifacts that show that they're in compliance and we look through those. And some of the areas where I've seen actually a bonus in this is where we've been able to apply the framework. And for example, if there's a major system acquisition that's using varied sensors, we can establish consensus on the guidelines and guardrails so that the sensor data that comes in is more interoperable and it's more shareable because we establish the interoperability upfront and early before the system has been built instead of coming back and doing it behind. So we're trying to build this upfront and early so that we can drive that interoperability to make the data more shareable and accessible. The other thing that this does is it really helps us save dollars. So there's some cost savings there because as we all know with system engineering and life cycle, the things that you do upfront and early save you more money. If you have to do it during the O&M phase, it's typically more costly and you have to make changes to a system that has already been delivered and is operational. So that's a way that um, we can do that.
0: All right. And obviously saving money is important now every agency, uh, is looking for ways to reinvest and modernize. So so it's good to see that that's starting to have an impact. All right, Cynthia, this has been a really great conversation. Before I let you go, what's the one thing that people should keep in mind around the reference architecture? What would be helpful for them to, if, if they take away one or two things from our conversation, what should it be?
2: I believe the two main tenants are building the trusted partnership with an enduring commitment for success and understanding that our successes and accomplishments are the results of us sharing the best of who we are to realize our mission. We are all in this together. The IC, the Department of Defense, and international partners, they are all key to our success moving moving forward. The diversity of thought will take us to the next level of providing timely, insightful, and accurate intelligence aligned to our national security mission to keep our country safe.
0: All right, very nice. Cynthia Mendoza is the Intelligence Community's Chief Architect. Cynthia, thank you so much for taking the time today.
2: Thank you very much, Jason. I really appreciated the conversation, and have a great rest of your day.
0: We have to take a break. When we return, we shift gears to hear from the Army about its cloud and IT modernization efforts. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. In this part of the show, my colleague Jory Heckman talked to Paul Puckett, the director of the Army Enterprise Cloud Management Office. How are you considering applying emerging tech like intelligent automation, RPA, uh, AI machine learning to your processes to improve your agility and resiliency to respond to future crises?
1: Well, I, I think one of the most important things is we need humans in the loop to make difficult decisions. And so there are a number of processes that we have across the Army uh, that we've done uh, a number of times that we should be automating that away. And at the end of the day, this allows us to buy back our more, most important asset, which is our people. Uh, and so uh, I describe this typically as our technical debt. There's there's typically a limitation in how we process information, whether it's from a limitation of a IT system, or there's simply just a Uh, centralized awareness of a problem where uh, we don't have those integrations uh, put in place. And so I see this not just as uh, automating a process, but also modernizing our IT systems that are required for the sending and receiving of the information that typically feeds these manual processes that we have today. And so part of this is captured in our Army Cloud Plan uh, that we are publishing for 2020, uh, which is getting after this technical debt for how we can optimize our IT systems to be service enabled where we can actually write uh, lines of code uh, to call on uh, services within our IT systems uh, for data uh, and then be able to pass that information in real time and automate the business processes that we have uh, across. And So critical to automating those pieces is actually mapping out what your business process is today And being able to uh, map out essentially all of the handoffs of information, the IT systems that we use, and some of the dependencies allows us to really see uh, the choke points in the process to optimize. And then applying the theory of constraints, be able to eliminate uh, the greatest choke point uh, within the business process, hopefully solving that with automation and then leading to a place where uh, either is the next place to be optimized uh, with automation or truly identifying where we need humans in the loop to make decisions. And this real-time sharing of data and this automation uh, is really the foundational pieces for uh, machine learning, Uh, our ability to learn from good data, uh, to be able to uh, uh, build these algorithms that help us start to then Uh, identify where opportunities might arise and the true application of artificial intelligence where helping us make these really difficult decisions is able to comb through archives of data really goes beyond the limitations of uh, human recall and problem solving. Uh, And so we see these kind of core components of uh, open data, being able to uh, see ourselves and our business processes uh, and then being able to apply automation uh, allows us to get to this place where we can lean into uh, machine learning and ultimately artificial intelligence uh, to improve uh, our business processes, uh, to improve our decision-making. And then when these unpredictable scenarios happen uh, for future crises, we have years and years of good data that we can learn from and have learned from uh, that we can apply for in those new um kind of unpredictable needs that we might have, be able to leverage the power of uh, machine learning artificial intelligence to, to help us uh, make those uh, difficult decisions, but then also to ensure that we've got the people and the time that's free in order to dive into the details and make those difficult decisions uh, rather than being buried in uh, just the day-to-day uh, technical debt that we've incurred uh, over the past number of years.
0: How did the pandemic get you to think differently about the future of your technology infrastructure and how the Army drives mission outcomes?
1: The biggest realization is that we have the ability to perceive the world around us, identify a problem, uh, and then be able to uh, both quickly as well as securely address that problem, learn, uh, and then improve upon how we've addressed that problem in real time. And, and sometimes just being forced to see it and do it helps you realize this notion of true agile software development and delivery uh, that has been permeating across the DoD and the intelligence community for the past number of years is that we are capable of doing this, uh, but then also to see it in practice and see it be valuable. Um, and sometimes the, you know, the, the best uh, uh, thing is just to learn from experience and just to do it. And so I think this has helped uh, from uh, even an HQDA and strategic perspective where our ability to adapt in real time to emerging needs uh, and be able to solve those problems uh, and be able to then improve upon them is really leaning into how we want to write our future contracts and also how we need to identify critical systems today that we've seen too much of a lag time in response to either new technology uh, or even uh, patching uh, of a system. Uh, and being able to now optimize uh, both those contracts as well as those IT systems.
0: That's all the time we have for today. You just heard excerpts of Federal News Network's Joy Heckman's interview with Paul Puckett, the director of the Army Enterprise Cloud Management Office. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network.
1: You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday
2: mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.